Welcome to the Podcast of Ideas. I'm Rob Lyons. One of the sessions at this year's Battle of Ideas Festival is centred on a showing of the film Generation Right, which examines Margaret Thatcher's election and governments looking at what happens, particularly in relation to crime and criminal justice policy, but also reflecting on the impact she had on politics subsequently. The film was made by Stephen Farrell, Professor of Criminology and Social Policy at the University of Sheffield. In the run-up to the event, I talked to him via Skype and started by asking him to describe the film and why he made it. Apologies for the sound quality at some points in this interview. So from really the end of the Second World War until the early to mid-1970s, there was what's referred to now as the post-war consensus. And so essentially, whichever government it was, it didn't matter whether it was a Labour government or a Conservative government or a Labour and and, uh, Liberal pact, the governments were pretty much wedded to the commitment to keep everybody in work or as many people in work as they possibly could. And they were all committed to a strong welfare state. So a social security system that looked after people when they were ill, that provided an income when they didn't have an income, that looked after people when they were old or uh, when they were at the start of their life and they, they needed sort of intensive care and those sorts of things. So it's a very, very expansive welfare state. It was also a state that owned a lot of uh, industries that are now in private hands. So, for example, um, telecommunications, that was owned, a company called BT, British Telecoms. There was also British Steel, British Coal, British Rail. Lots and lots of houses were owned, not so much by the central state, but by local states. Those things were called um, council houses, of course. And a huge array of other sectors of the economy were actually state-owned by, by, by the government, in, including, interestingly, things like Thomas Cook, who were for a while owned by the government. Now, what Margaret Thatcher's uh, governments did was to, to, to come along and to start to question the basis of those decisions, of that, that kind of public ownership, and to say, well, we think these companies would run much, much more efficiently. They would be run much better. There would be more competition, which would drive down prices if we sold them from the, the sort of, if you like, public ownership into private ownership. So that's one of the things that they did. When it came to, for example, social security, they felt that social security created um, a culture of dis- what they called dependency. So people weren't going out to work, they claimed, because they thought they could rely on um, the social welfare system. So they pushed back very hard on the supports that had been given to industry, but also the financial assistance that were given to people in times of need, like, for example, when they were unemployed. So they really challenged the whole basis of what had been going on since really the um, the end of the Second World War, as I said, through to the, um, the mid-70s and, and, and early 1980s. One thing that strikes me is that Margaret Thatcher was popular despite presiding over mass unemployment and cutting welfare spending. As a teenage lefty, I seriously disliked her, but my brother and my mother were working-class Tories. Why did Margaret Thatcher appeal to so many working-class people who might, in the past, have voted for Labour? Of course, when you talk about working-class, you're talking about lots of different different groups, and, and they are not just socially polarised, um, but they're also geographically polarised. So the working-class in, for example... Uh, Southeast England um, is kind of different from the working class in, for example, I don't know, uh, the north of England, to, 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 to put it crudely like that. So what 
Margaret Thatcher did was she appealed to some of the kind of aspirations that the that some people in the working class had. So those those members of the working class who wanted to get on, as it were, who were striving, if you like, to move up up the uh, the social ladder, um, who wanted new things, who wanted you know to own a second car, who wanted to buy their own houses, for example. She really kind of appealed to um, some of the things that they wanted. And you see that, for example, with the um, right to buy council houses, which was introduced very early on in her administration in 1980. So this was essentially an attempt to, as some people have put it, buy off bits of the working class so that they would no longer associate their interests as being best served with Labour and start to associate much more closely with the Conservative Party. So that's one of the appeals um, of, of kind of Thatcherism and the Thatcherite rhetoric for members of the working class. Of course, another element that might have appealed to some members of the working class was her kind of strict authoritarianism. So she was very much um, in favour of kind of strong policing, uh, in favour of um, the rule of law being upheld. Um, I mean, she uh, made a lot of political capital, really, on fighting against crime in a rhetorical sense. Her, her governments um, didn't actually really do terribly much directly about crime, um, at least not initially when she was in office. So that kind of, you know, combating crime would have appealed to some sections of the working class, particularly when you remember that crime, uh, particularly street crime, is one of those things that you're going to find uh, more in some neighbourhoods than you are others. And so her her kind of rhetoric about, you know, giving offenders stiffer sentences would, would have appealed to some elements of the working class um, in a way that the sorts of things that Labour were saying, which was really not very much on crime, just wouldn't have done. What was the effect of her government on crime? What did she actually achieve? So Margaret Thatcher's impact on, on crime, and he, he, when we talk about crime, we have to distinguish between crime, crime, you know, people going out and fighting or, or stealing things from each other, and her impact on the criminal justice system, the courts, the police, the probation services, etc., needs to be kind of separated. So almost certainly some of the economic and social policies, particularly the economic policies, were associated, were, were, produced high levels of unemployment, higher levels of economic inequality, and both of those things fed into higher levels of property crime. So if you look at the, the rates of crime, property crime in England and Wales, they absolutely skyrocket um, through the uh, 1980s, particularly the latter half of that decade. So her impact on crime was, um, amongst other things, to help push it up. It was already going up, but um, it, there's, there's, there's a pretty obvious, um, if you like, Thatcher effect in terms of property crime rates um, throughout the 1980s and into the early part of the 1990s. So one, the way in which um, Thatcherism impacted on crime was to increase it. Looking at what Margaret Thatcher's governments did in terms of criminal justice policies, the sentencing, for example, it's very hard to detect very much of, if you like, a Thatcher effect. And that's partly because her government was so busy with, for example, industrial um, relations, uh, economic policies, social security policies, education, housing. There was a year-long miners' strike. And, of course, 
before that as well, um, the Falklands War. So the criminal justice system was sort of left alone largely by, by Margaret Thatcher's home secretaries. And incidentally, all of her home secretaries were um, what she would have referred to as, as wets. They were people who were kind of um, Tory paternalists rather than um, the kind of conservative home secretaries that we think of um, today, who are, generally speaking, much more strident, much more determined to get tough with um, offenders. So in terms of the criminal justice system, Margaret Thatcher didn't really do terribly much. The big action in terms of changes to the criminal justice system really starts when Michael Howard becomes Home Secretary to, um, to, as part of John Major's government. And then we see um, a dramatic increase, really, in um, the punitiveness of the criminal justice system. And that's a punitiveness that is then kind of cemented and reinforced by um, Tony Blair's government when it comes in in 1997. One of the things I remember from that period was a particularly heavy-handed approach to policing ethnic minorities and black men in particular. What was the effect of that? London had riots in um, places like Southall and um, Brixton. There were riots in um, Bristol and Liverpool. In response to what is now perceived to have been rather heavy-handed policing, particularly of um, young black men, who at that point would have been disproportionately um, amongst the unemployed, and that's still the case today, largely, and would have had rather poor relationships with the um, with, with the police. And so, what happened is by um, by uh, policing these communities in, in a rather aggressive manner, it must be said, one uh, one in, in some respects sort of stoked up resentment. And there was only so long the resentment coupled with a fairly high degree of unemployment and on top of that coupled with um, uh, kind of the suspicion that some of the reasons these communities were so unemployed was simply because of kind of open prejudice. It's only so long before that was, wasn't going to erupt into um, into hostilities. It was exactly what we saw um, throughout the early part of the 1980s. I, I'm interested in your, your comment about the rising authoritarianism under Howard and then under Blair and that speaks to something about Margaret Thatcher if you like winning the argument on so many of these fronts there hasn't really been any great challenge to for example her economic policies and in the same way the idea that we generally have to crank up sentencing levels um, and that we we need to create multitude of new offences all the time to uh, deal with it every new possible scenario. What do you think about that, the fact that 1997, Tony Blair coming in, doesn't really mark a sea change away from Thatcher, but in a sense kind of taking that philosophy and running with it even more? In 1997, when Tony Blair was elected, you must remember he was, there were two really big sort of sound bites from the 97 election campaign. One was education, education, education. And the other one, which is um, rather more memorable, um, simply because it's not three words repeated, was his angle on crime. And he said that the new Labour government was going to be tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime. And so therefore, it kind of suggested that they were going to be tough minded in a sort of giving out stiffer sentences, tough on crime. 
but also attempts to grapple with some of the underlying causes of crime, such as homelessness and um, um, a sense of alienation and, and living in kind of impoverished conditions. Labour had really to carry on appearing to be tough on crime. And it had to do that for a number of reasons. In 1983, when um, it lost the uh, general election, Michael Foote was the leader, Labour had seemed to be very, very soft on crime. It hadn't really wanted to engage with what was already then a growing sense of concern about levels of crime um, in the country. And so Labour had to carry on appearing, at least, to be tough on crime in order to avoid the accusation that they had gone soft on crime again and in so doing damage their chances of winning the 1997 general election. Another reason was because crime peaked in England and Wales around about 1993-1994. And so it was only just before the general election in 1997, when one takes into time the fact that this data emerges a year or so after it had been collected at that point, that people started to notice that there was a decline in crime. And of course, it took several years before people kind of could confidently say that crime was coming down relative to where it had been in the 1980s and 1990s. It stayed tough on crime because crime was still seen as um, an urgent social problem that needed to be um, tackled. Have have we seen any shifts since then? Or has that that new Labour concern about crime just been carried on through into the coalition government and into the current Conservative government? One of the things that's quite interesting about popular opinion about crime is the way in which it, it rises at certain moments and declines at other moments. So certainly popular anxiety about crime, which some people also refer to as the fear of crime, rose throughout the 1980s. There hadn't really been any data collected before that, I should say. But um, nevertheless, um, every time the British Crime Survey uh, asked people about their concerns about crime, it was going up throughout the 1980s. And that remained the case well into the 1990s, at which point people started to kind of recognise that that crime, at least in their own neighbourhoods, was coming down. So crime rose, uh, sorry, concern about crime rose and then um, declined. When one uh, enters the the kind of um, 2007, 2008 era, crime is pushed off the um, policy agenda, really by popular concerns about the state of the economy and um, whether people's finances are going to be as well uh, next year as, as, as they have been in the past year. So there's there's a lot more focus on, if you like, consumer confidence um, and people's uh, abilities to maintain their lifestyles. And that really kind of swamps crime and crime just sort of disappears down the most important issues facing the country, um, league tables, if you like, and, and the economy rises up to um, up to the top as everyone worries about jobs and whether they're going to be able to pay their mortgages and, and, and those sorts of things. So what that has done is, in some respects, to take some of the heat out of um, crime and the criminal justice system over the last 10 years or so. That's not to say, of course, that we haven't still... Uh, embarked upon um, imprisoning people at, a, at an alarming rate, but rather it's it's kind of reached a plateau whereby there aren't really very many 
um, new initiatives going forward, at least in terms of sentencing, that still bear that kind of punitive sen uh, sentiment. So if you look at the kind of the recent innovations in the criminal justice system, we've seen um, increasing privatisation. So we have uh, privatised what were or semi-privatised what were um, probation services. And there's still sort of a growing number of privatised prisons. And there's been outsourcing of various um, ancillary services within the criminal justice system. But the criminal justice system hasn't changed dramatically since uh, new labour were in power. The big, the big changes, really, in terms of the criminal justice system came, were, that came whilst Michael Howard was in office um, from the mid to late-ish 1990s, and really again when first Jack Straw and David Blunkett were in office under the new Labour government from 1997 onwards. Uh, I suppose I've, to sort of conclude, I'd like to come back to the mm. title of the film, that point about politics, if, if you like, having been stamped with Margaret Thatcher's uh, brand <laughs> for, for such a long time. Do you think we're now sort of really coming to the end of Generation Right. It's very interesting, the popularity of Jeremy Corbyn, which is, who is, in so many ways, kind of old school, you know, a Michael Foote sort of policy mm. outlook. Do, do you think that that, the, that popularity and the effect that that's going to have electorally on, on the Conservatives, that they, we've reached the end of that, that actually people are, are, are now dissatisfied with that, mm. that, that general individualistic free market uh, outlook which Margaret Thatcher so sort of strongly espoused? I think it's very hard to say yet whether we have kind of reached another turning point whereby we kind of move away from um, a set of, for want of a better term, Thatcherite uh, values or Thatcherite instincts. I mean, the big turning points in history are always identified retrospectively. Nobody thought that, you know, the French Revolution was going to be the, the huge change that it ended up being for, for, for that country, nor the American um, independence wars, nor indeed um, the Great Reform Act of 1832, or, or any of those other, other kind of key landmark moments. So I think it's a bit early to say yet whether the election of Jeremy Corbyn as leader of the Labour Party is one of those turning points. It, it may... Um, it, it may end up not being uh, a turning point. We must remember, of course, that despite um, Labour doing as well as they did in the recent general election, they still didn't win it. Um, and they were some seats short of um, winning it. Even current predictions based on Labour polling at around about 42% and the Conservatives polling at around about 38 or 39 percent still lead Labour short of um, an, an electoral majority. They would, in effect, have to do a deal with, um, I guess, most likely um, another party like the SNP. The Lib Dems don't have sufficient seats to make up the numbers that, that Labour need. Um, and there some of the other parties, they wouldn't have appeal to Labour, such as, for example, the DUP. The Greens, again, don't have enough um, seats to make up the, the numbers. So I'm, I'm slightly reticent to, to make, a, make a call on whether we've reached another kind of historical turning point in the way that 1979 is now seen as a turning point. We may have, but we may not have.
Thank you very much to Professor Stephen Farrell for taking the time to talk to us. The film and debate Generation Rights, The Legacy of Margaret Thatcher takes place at the Battle of Ideas Festival on Sunday the 29th of October at 2pm. Visit the Battle of Ideas website, battleofideas.org.uk, for more details. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts and subscribe to them, visit instituteofideas.com forward slash podcast.